Thank you, Charity, for ministering in music. Let's take a moment in silence and you share with the Lord your desire to be open and sensitive to God's Word as we interact with it this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we want to be those who live in light of your word and a humble dependency upon your spirit at work in us. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. The 1924 Olympics, Eric Liddell found out that he was going to be running in the Olympics and he was planning to run the 100-yard, 100-meter race. But when he found out that that was going to be held on Sunday, which he held as sacred, he chose not to run in that race. Rather, he ran in the 400-meter. And probably most of us know the name He ran, but he's known not so much maybe for his speed as much as his conviction for what he chose not to do. Probably many of us do not know that after he ran in the Olympics, people wanted him to go on in a career in running, but he chose to become a missionary to China. He went to China and in a few years married a gal from Canada He and his wife went to China as they ministered there, had two children. And when she was pregnant with with a third child, World War II was beginning. And they decided that she, along with the two children, would go back to Canada. He would remain in China for a period of time and follow later. Because of the war and what was happening with Japan coming into China, he ended up in a camp for a period of time, and it was while he was in that camp that he died. But before he died, there was a prisoner exchange arranged between Britain and the Japanese. Eric chose to give his spot to a pregnant woman He remained in China and then died. What would prompt a man to sacrifice his life for another? Ponder that. A couple questions for you to ponder also. What does your lifestyle communicate you love? If your children were to honestly answer the question, what does dad love? What does mom love? How would they respond? If your parents were to honestly answer, what does Charity, what does JT, what does Hayden, what does Danny love? How would they respond? Do you love God? As we read Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, Keep in mind that Jesus shared a parable, and that parable was directed against the religious leaders. The religious leaders responded. 
The Pharisees and the Herodians tried to corner Jesus with a question about paying taxes to Caesar. The Sadducees came to him with a question about the resurrection. In the passage we'll be reading, verses 28 through 34 of Mark 12, we find that a teacher of the law asked him about what is the greatest commandment. Mark 12, begin reading with verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, that is, heard the Sadducees and Jesus debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one, and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbors yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dare ask him any more questions. Now, as we think about this passage, keep in mind that the purpose of the passage is not primarily to help us understand the Mosaic law or to love our neighbors ourselves, but to help us understand Christ. Secondarily is the issue of the Mosaic law, loving God, loving your neighbor. Remember, the Gospel of Mark, along with the other Gospels, are there to reveal Christ. He is central. Thus, we must keep him central in the passage. This is about Christ. Secondarily, it is about Moses and the law, loving God and loving your neighbor. And keep that in focus as we discuss the passage. The exchange here between a teacher of the law and Jesus is interesting. He apparently was listening as the Herodians and the Pharisees and the Sadducees questioned Jesus and tried to corner Jesus, you know, get him into trouble. So he is here. He hears the debating. He notices that Jesus gave a good answer, I think, to the Herodians, the Pharisees, and then to the Sadducees. So he poses a question. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? We know that the teacher of the law would not have agreed with the Sadducees, but again, he's drawing into the discussion of all the commandments, which is the most important. The scribes concern themselves with a proper exposition of the law and earn respect as interpreting the law and teaching it correctly. The rabbinical tradition would say that there were 613 commands in the Torah. That is the first five books of the Old Testament. There were 365 prohibitions. There were 248 positive commands. 
And he's saying to Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The rabbis also differentiated between what they considered the heavy and the light commandments. Some commandments in the Torah were considered very heavy, very important. Therefore, the consequence would be greater. If it was a lighter command, the consequence would not be as great. And the rabbis like to sum up the Mosaic law in short phrases. Rabbi Hillel summarized the Torah in a negative version of the golden rule. This is the entire Torah or law. Everything else is interpretation. And what did he say? Don't do to others, or what you would not want done to you, do not do to your neighbor. Another rabbi summed it up by saying, you shall love your neighbors yourself. Another rabbi said, in all your ways acknowledge God and he will make your path straight. And in AD 260, Rabbi Simlai said, the righteous shall live by faith. So when the teacher of the law is asking Jesus, which is the greatest commandment? That was coming in that day. They were trying to sum up the Mosaic law in a sentence or two. In fact, they would make light of it maybe. Someone would come up, a rabbi, while you're standing on one leg, sum up the Mosaic law. So we're dealing with something that was very common. So teacher of the law of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus goes along with what he is being asked by recognizing that some laws are apparently heavy and some are light. Because he says the most important one. No, the heavier one, if you please, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now let's pull aside for a minute from the context of Mark chapter 12 to recognize that the question deals with the law, the Mosaic law, which is the greatest commandment. It is during the life of Jesus that this is taking place. At this time, Jesus had not died, had not rose from the dead, had not ascended to the Father. The salvation as we think of it, regeneration and reconciliation, and in Christ is not in the picture. None of the epistles are in the picture. We have the Mosaic Law. We have the birth of Jesus. Then we have the life of Jesus. Mark 12 is taking place. And then we have Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And then we have the New Testament coming on the scene. My point is this. Many times today, we hear, love God and love your neighbor. That stops with the Old Testament. 
The context of Mark 12 is going back to the Mosaic law. So to say to someone, love God and love your neighbor, what about Christ? What about in Christ? Think through that. Jesus is speaking. He's talking about the law. The question is, of the commandments, which is the greater? So today when we say to someone, love God and love your neighbor, we need to add, know Christ and love fellow believers. And again, I think that is important to keep in perspective because in Christ, all that is available in Christ is not present when we're in Mark chapter 12. Notice how Jesus begins. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Curiosity question again in our culture today. When you hear someone say, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbors yourself, how many times have you heard them begin with, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We rarely hear that. Love God, love your neighbor. But Jesus begins, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we find that Moses is restating the law to the children of Israel. The law was given some 40 years earlier. We know that those 20 years old and older died in the desert. They're getting ready to cross the Jordan River into the Promised Land, and Moses is rehearsing the law to the children of Israel. And he says in chapter 6 and verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. And then he says, impress them upon your children, and so on. But very clearly stated, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Jews would recite morning and evening, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That was part of their life. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 35 and 39. Deuteronomy 4 and 35 you were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Beside him there is no other. Look at verse 39. Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. We could turn to Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 6 and we would find the 
fact that God is one is emphasized in Nehemiah in verse 9 and verse 6. In Psalm 86 and verse 10, the same thing is emphasized. In Isaiah 44 and verse 6, Zechariah 14 and verse 9. Israel was to worship only Yahweh, the Lord, the independence of existing one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one, points to Yahweh's uniqueness, his unity, his integrity. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one, points out that he alone can bless Israel. He alone is entitled to their obedience. It echoes the covenant language of loyalty. The father-son relationship. Now keep in mind that when the law was given, it was given after Israel came out of Egypt. Egypt had gods, many gods. And God says to Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. I'm one. Not like Egypt. They're going into the promised land. They're going into the promised land where there were people that worshipped many gods. And in Deuteronomy, before they go into the promised land, Moses is saying, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Different than Egypt. Different than where you're going. You're worshipping the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And as Jesus is talking to the teacher of the law, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Then he continues with, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no command greater than these. Jesus says love. Love God, love your neighbor. Love means to value, to esteem, to feed or manifest generous concern for, to be faithful towards, to delight in, a devotedness. When you love something, when you agape something, you value it, you esteem it, you place an emphasis upon it. Some people love their jobs, and it shows. Some people love driving. Some people love the Internet. But he says, love the Lord your God. Value the Lord your God. Value your neighbor. Esteem your neighbor. Notice he says, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. So love God when you're working. Love God when you're driving. Love God when you're shopping. Love God when you're cooking. Love God when you're eating. He's talking about all of life. He's not dividing life into the sacred and the sacred. Sacred and secular. Now this morning, are we doing something sacred? When we're coming together to worship, probably most of us would say yes. But when you go home and eat, are you doing something sacred? 
Yes. When you get up tomorrow morning and go to work or school, are you doing something sacred? Yes. See, part of where Jesus is coming from, you love God and you love your neighbor, you don't have sacred and secular, you have sacred. All of life is to be lived in loving God with your total being and loving your neighbor. That's not one or the other. To get the idea of loving something, valuing something, esteeming something, delighting in something, how many of you parents would say, my kids love the computer? Don't raise your hand. Or love their iPad or iPhone or whatever. When someone is dating, it shouldn't stop at dating, by the way, but when someone is dating, they'll talk about their boyfriend or girlfriend to a lot of people. Ah, oh, he must value her or she must value him. How about music? Some people really love music. How do you know? They listen to it. They talk about it. Jesus says, love God with your heart, soul, mind, strength. Your total being. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor like you take care of yourself. We all take pretty good care of ourselves. We eat. We get sleep. We go to the store and we buy what we want and so on. Love your neighbor in that way. Jesus is summing up the Mosaic Law. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment, or there is no commandment greater than these. The entire Mosaic law, Jesus says, can be summed up in loving God, loving your neighbor. Of the Ten Commandments, the first four deal directly with God, loving God. The last six commandments deal directly with loving your neighbor. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4 talks about loving God. Leviticus 19 and verse 18 talk about loving your neighbor. Jesus says the commands are a unit. You can't separate loving God from loving your neighbor. You can't separate loving your neighbor from loving God. Jesus brings these two together. This is the first time from what I could find in my study that a rabbi would have put together Deuteronomy 6, 4 and Leviticus 19. That should be verse 18. Jesus is taking the law and saying, love God. But intimately related to that loving God is love your neighbor. Well, I'll just love God and not love my neighbor. Well, then you don't love God. Well, I'll love my neighbor and not love God. Well, if you don't love God and love your neighbor, you don't love either. He's bringing the two together. 
He's bringing the two together for this God who is one. And we know according to Luke 10, as Jesus shares the account of the Samaritan when he was asked, who's my neighbor? He gives the account of the good Samaritan. The two Jews walked by and didn't help the injured man, but the Samaritan did. He's loving his neighbor. Takes him to the inn and, you know, gives the guy money and some extra money and says, when I come back, I will take care of it. Which is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. He's bringing the two together. You can't separate them. To love, claim love for God means one must love his neighbor. They're a unit. So an example of that when we were kid or when I was a kid. Occasionally our neighbor's cows would get out. And they would get into dad's fields. Now we're to love our neighbor. Now suppose one time his cows get out because he didn't take care of the fence. We said, well, this neighbor just doesn't take very good care of his fence. So we're going to express some hatred to our neighbor. We're going to get a little meat from these cows. Jesus would say, you didn't love your neighbor, you don't love me. No, he said, he's bringing the two together. And two applications at time with what we're discussing this morning. I want to strongly emphasize, first of all, that the Lord is one. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit are one. They live as a unit in complete harmony. When Jesus says to this teacher of the law, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, he's saying they're a unit. There's not many gods like in Egypt. There's not many gods like in the promised land. There's one. And looking from our time perspective, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, they're a unit. The Lord is one. In a world of many religions and isms, the Lord is one. He is not one of many. He's the only one. What does this practically mean in the 21st century? Jesus is the only way to God through the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. And I say the end, that's it. The Lord our God is one. He's the only way. The gods or keep Jesus central as a result. So the gods, Buddha, Muhammad, the isms of our world, evolution, Hinduism, Religions, Jehovah's Witnesses, and so on are meaningless for now and eternity. Because the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. 
when talking to people about God, share your speaking about the Creator, God, who is one, who created the heavens and the earth that sets them apart from the gods of the world. Here's Jesus speaking, and in essence, he is saying, I'm God. If the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and Jesus is God's son, Mark 1 and Mark 9, then Jesus is saying, I'm God, as he is speaking to the scribe. We don't have God and then Jesus and then the Holy Spirit. They're a unit. They're one. Co-equal, co-eternal, and so on. So when Jesus was on this earth, God was here. As fully man and fully God. Another application just as in loving God and your neighbor under the law are a unit, summing up the entire law, loving and knowing Christ and loving the body of Christ and loving all unbelievers sums up the entire New Testament. For me to say, I love Jesus Christ, I want to know Jesus Christ, and not love other believers and desire to relate to other believers is dividing a unit. Old Testament, love God. Love your neighbor. New Testament, love no Christ. Love the body of Christ. Love your unbelieving neighbor. Can't separate them. They're a unit. Brought out so very, very strongly in Ephesians Chapters 1, 2, and 3, Colossians 1, 2, and 3, Romans 1 through 11. And they're a unit. Can't separate them. What does your lifestyle communicate you love? If your children were to honestly answer the question, what does dad love? Or what does mother love? How would they respond? If your parents were to respond honestly, what does charity JT, Hayden, Danny, love. How would they respond? Do you love God? Do you desire to know Christ and love your neighbor? Eric Lindell gave up his spot to go to his family for a woman who was pregnant as the agreement was made between the Japanese and Britain, keeping in mind that Britain would have been involved in China at that time. Why? The testimony by Eric's friend, A.P. Collin, who had known Eric most of his life, summed up his friend's life in a camp memorial service on March 3rd, 1945. And I quote, he was literally God-controlled in his thoughts, judgments, actions, words, to an extent I've never seen surpassed and rarely seen equaled. Every morning he rose early to pray and read the Bible in silence, 
talking and listening to God, pondering the day ahead, and often smiling as if at a private joke. End of quote. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love him, love your neighbor. And since we're living beyond Mark chapter 12, love Jesus, know Jesus, love your neighbor. That is the body of Christ and also your unbelieving neighbor. So we think about Mark chapter 12. How has God ministered to you this morning? And are you willing to say, God, in light of how you ministered to me, I want to respond. Singing together as Travis comes to lead us.